0: It's a great question, isn't it? Something for us all to consider. Where are you headed? Uh, When we we ask a question like that, there's, there's several things that could come to mind. You know, where are you headed with your health? Where are you headed with your family? Maybe it's where are you headed with relationships in your life? For some of you, you might be focused on where you are headed in your career, your career path. For some of you, it may be, where are you headed on vacation next week? <laughs> but it's a great question to consider, is where are you headed? And over the next three Sundays, I want you to consider with me and, and kind of dig deep and kind of get out of your comfort zone and really think, use your mind to ponder where are you headed as we focus on where are you headed spiritually. Where are you headed spiritually? Where are you headed with your relationship with the Lord? What is the trajectory of your spiritual walk these days? Where are you headed? Fact is, and it's really easy to surmise this, I I, I know for many of you, you're like, yeah, I know where I'm, I'm, I'm headed because you can see where I've been. Some of you may say, Man, I have been really stagnant in my faith. I have not grown. Nothing has really changed in my life. My marriage is the same. My workplace is the same. My relationships are the same. My spiritual walk is pretty much the same. If you wanted to call it a rut, yeah, that's what I've been in. For some of you, you may say, Well, I've been in a rut for five years, 10 years, 15 years. For some of you, maybe it's only been five months. But where are you headed? It's an important question to consider because at some point you also get to the end of your life and you would like to know where where are you headed? Where are you headed? It's amazing when we set the trajectory for our lives because so many people will sacrifice so many things to get to where they want to go. It's amazing how many times we will put money, uh, fi- finances, and time, and make all of these sacrifices for things that are really—I mean, what, what it would say in the scripture—are trivial compared to things that are eternal, things that would last even into eternity. And yet, sometimes we will make great sacrifices of time. We we'll make great sacrifices of the priorities of our life, and if you look at them, you'd say, "Wow, that reflects this emphasis on this thing or this emphasis on this thing," but not an emphasis on our relationship with Jesus Christ, and not an emphasis on something like spiritual growth. And so, if you're taking notes this morning, maybe that's what the first note needs to be: is just the question, "Where are you headed?" We did a rebranding in the spring and, and kind of got excited about that. Uh, I'm going to put that logo on the screen just to remind you of what that looked like. And that, that logo represented several things for Oakwood. Of course, the, the green in it is a leaf. Um, it's got the cross in it because we are a Christian church and Christ will always be the center. And, you know, oak wood being, you know, a tree. You know, it was just low-hanging fruit, right? I mean, to, to have that. But one of the things we wanted to accentuate in this rebranding was the idea of growth, because we believe that healthy things grow. If you have a plant and it's watered and fertilized and it grows into something healthy, and you would say that is healthy because it is growing. If it is not growing and it's starting to atrophy, yeah, maybe it needs fertilizer, maybe it needs water, maybe it needs some kind of environmental condition, no more sunshine or less sunshine, but... You would look at it and you would say if it's growing and it's vibrant and it looks healthy, then it's moving the right direction. But if you have a plant that's not, you would probably try to do something different. What we're trying to get you to consider is that for your spiritual walk as well. For you to consider how you are growing. And if you're not growing, would you be willing to do something different to put you in a place where you could grow more spiritually? Because here at Oakwood, we want all of our people to grow, to know, to love, and to live Jesus. And I know when you hear that, you're probably like, yes. Most of you, I mean, I mean it's early Sunday morning. You know, there's, there's a lot more people that come to second service if you didn't know that. You guys are the dedicated ones. You're up early. You're here. And so you care. You care about your spiritual walk. You care about it. And so what we want to consider is the how. Okay? Most of you would say yes. I agree with that. Yes. Yes. But how do we do that? How do we best grow in a walk with Christ? I think there's no better place to look than the Bible itself to find this out. And so uh, we're going to begin this morning in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. That's a New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at uh, one verse there, verse 42. And we're going to look at the early church and to see what has happened here. And what I want to tell you before we begin to read this is I think some things we've done well here at Oakwood through the years um, are are things like Bible teaching, um, impartation of truth, that those are good things, good information to have. But where we fall short sometimes and what might be missing in our spiritual walk and our spiritual growth is the application of scripture to our lives, actually living it out, doing what the Bible says, and the accountability to the application of the scripture in our lives. And accountability oftentimes requires, you know, well, it does require another person. I mean, we can be held accountable and in check by God's Holy Spirit, and I don't want to diminish the Spirit in any way, but we read throughout scripture that we're supposed to be doing life together, and there's this group of people that come together as God's church, and they're called to... To have relationships with each other and have deep relationships with each other and help each other to grow spiritually. There's tons of scripture that talk about us spurring on one another toward love and good deeds. And So let's begin by looking at at the book of Acts chapter 2 and, and in the verse before we read this verse 42 in the verse just before it I just want to share what's happened here. Uh, Peter's preached a sermon um, on the, what we call the day of Pentecost. He's preached this sermon, and it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the church went from, if you're studying the book of Acts, and you know your number's there, it went, from, went really from 12 to 120, it says, and now it's 3,000 by the end of chapter 2. 3,000 people are part of God's church. And then look what it says, because it's so telling. Here in the next verse, Acts 2.42, it says they, this is talking about these people, the 3,000 that are in God's church now, they devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. It says that they devoted themselves to these things. That word devoted in the Greek is, is this great Greek word. is proskartereo, which would be a great name for a brother or sister. Somebody's pregnant out there and you're trying to decide that baby name, proskartereo, would be a great name, very strong. I'm um, call him prosk. Uh, and th- what that word means, though, it gives you this idea of continually being devoted to something or to give oneself up to something. And so they were continually devoting themselves. It wasn't like just a one-time thing. It was like they were daily devoting themselves to what? And and notice at the beginning of verse 42 there, it says they. It's a group, okay? It's It's not an individual, it's a group. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, this was the teaching of the disciples. The teaching that we have today in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and even the story of the church being birthed by these same apostles and disciples into the book of Acts and even into the rest of the New Testament as people who encountered Jesus wrote down their stories. They were sharing those stories of the gospel, those stories of Jesus Christ. And so the apostles were teaching it and they said, hey, we need to be taught. We, collectively, as a body here, as the church that just got birthed, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then it says they devoted themselves to fellowship. We read fellowship, and fellowship takes on a lot of forms and means a lot of different things to a lot of people. A lot of times when we think of fellowship in God's church, we think of food, right? I mean, I think of as anyone this might you know date me really bad, but has anyone ever heard of a linger longer? Anyone? Raise your hand. There's gotta be somebody. Okay. A few of you, okay. You know what a linger longer is. The linger you lingered longer to what? Eat brownies and cookies and homemade ice cream. And get to know people. And we called it fellowship. In fact, a lot of churches used to have something called a fellowship hall. I don't know why they called it the fellowship hall. It wasn't a hall, it was a room, but we called it a hall, okay? Um strange things in God's church. You know what we name things sometimes? But um, it was the fellowship hall, and the whole idea was that's where we're going to eat, that's where we're going to gather, and that's where we're going to have fun and make memories, and, 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 and all this stuff happens in the fellowship hall. And, and so there's this idea of fellowship there, and we think, you know, food sometimes, and that's not a bad thing, it's a good thing, but, but this fellowship here, this word here is a Greek word called koinonia. Now, if you've been around church for any number of years, you probably have an idea. Oh, yeah, koinonia, I remember that. We used to have a Sunday school class here at Oakwood uh, back in the 80s and 90s called koinonia. That was her name. What does koinonia mean? Koinonia gives us this idea of deep, meaningful fellowship, of intimate association, of a joint Participation. This isn't casual fellowship, like get a brownie and let's talk about, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine, how are you? Oh, good. That's not, that's not the fellowship it's talking about here. These people were sharing their very lives together. It was a deep fellowship. So when you hear koinonia and Ian, you hear of the fellowship, as we translate it into English there, think of deep fellowship and intimacy with other people. And then it goes on and says that they also dedicated themselves to the breaking of bread. It's actually a reference to communion there. That when they gathered together, they did what the disciples did with Jesus in the upper room. When Jesus said, hey, take and eat, this is my Body, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. I want this to be centered to your worship, center in your mindset when you gather. The early church said, Hey, we've got to remember what all of this is about. All the songs and all the preaching and everything that we do as a church is about Jesus Christ. And we need to remember his sacrifice. And Jesus says, I am honored when you would take holy communion and you would do it together. And so they, the church, devoted themselves to that and to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer, apostles' teaching, fellowship, koinonia, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. But I want you to capture here that none of this was done alone. This was all done in community with other believers. It was all done with everyone. And in the next verse, it even says, and it gives you words like everyone in verse 43. In verse 44, all of the believers in verse 45, they in verse 46, they appear several times. And it keeps talking. And then you get down to verse 47. It says, they were praising God enjoying the favor of all the people. And it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church was just constantly growing, constantly in association with people. And I feel like that's something that we've gotten away from. We've gotten away from it kind of culturally. I think that it was the invention of the the automatic garage door opener kind of did that because it used to be when you came home from work you parked your car in the driveway and if you're going to pull it into the garage you would have to manually do that and people would see their neighbors and talk to their neighbors and get to know their neighbors and there would be talk and communication and then you know the automatic garage door could go in close that door don't have to see fellowship talk to anyone We've also tried to privatize our faith sometimes a little bit, and this is not how God intended us to live. Did you know 59 times in the New Testament it says that Christians are to do things with one another? 59 times it says that we are to walk out our Christian walk together with one another. And it says things like this. This is an, an exhaustive list, but it says things like this. It says things like that we are to love one another that we are to serve with one another. We are to forgive one another. We are to forbear or to bear with one another. We're to teach one another, pray with one another, submit to one another, confess our sins to one another, and even admonish one another. And get this, half, about half of the New Testament, of all the words of the New Testament are written about your relationship with other people. Your relationship with other Christians and how you do life together. You see, God created us not to be alone. He created us to be in community and fellowship. And if you go all the way back to the garden, you should remember this, right? God is creating. First day, he says, it's good. Second day, good. Third day, good. Fourth, fifth, sixth day, good. Rest on the seventh day. Get to Genesis chapter two. And all of a sudden, in the middle of Genesis chapter two, he says, it is not good. Wait, wait, pay attention, folks. It's been good, 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 good. Now it's not good. What is not good? He said that man should be alone. God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to create another human so that they can have fellowship and community. And what did he create? Whoa, man. Woman. This was just my biblical interpretation of what happened there. I think he was amazed when he saw Eve. But we see from the very beginning that God wanted this community to be together. It was the nation and the people and the tribes of Israel. And they were together in community. What we are doing that may be a little bit different than what we've done in the past here at Oakwood is this fall we are really putting an emphasis on small groups that we're calling growth groups. Now when you got your bulletin this morning, you might have noticed that there was an insert in the bulletin that talked about these growth groups and kind of defines them for you. And just to put it simply, it's just a growth group. All that is is a group of about 6 to 12 people who are focused on spiritually growing together through something we're going to call relational discipleship. Now, let me tell you, let me just kind of illustrate for you for a second of what that means and why it might be different than something you've experienced in the past. This past spring, Amy and I, uh, we uh, taught a group together, um, and it was just about discipleship, I think is what we called it. Um, And it was just about growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. When everyone showed up, we had about 42 in in that group on Wednesday nights. And what we did is we did something really simple. It's called the Discovery Bible Method, where we took a passage of Scripture, and we asked three questions about it. And the the third question was application, and then at that third question, when you applied it to your life, then you would come back to your group the next week, and they would ask you, how did you do on your application? Like, you came up with your own application of the text. You know, I'm feeling like this scripture's calling me to do this, and so uh, this week I'm going to try to do this. And when you came back next week, they say, did you call your sister that you hadn't talked to in seven years like you said you were going to? And there was some accountability for it. This is really neat. It's really great how it worked. Now, if you came to me and you said, Eric, you're kind of the leader, the facilitator of this group, how was so-and-so doing spiritually? I could tell you. I think they're doing all right, but did I really know? I couldn't because the group was just too big. In fact, what was happening on Wednesday nights is we were splitting into five groups out of the 40-plus the, the in our, our group together. Met in the same room upstairs in the Oak, but we split into five small groups. Why? Well, because people needed to share life. They needed to be able to talk in a small group, get to know one another intimately. You see, that's the purpose. So many times in the church, I think we've begun to make it really superficial in our fellowship that we actually don't ask questions like, where is the biggest temptation area in your life right now? And how can I, as a brother or sister in Christ, help you overcome? Where is an area in my life where I don't look much like Jesus? <laughs> Maybe it's my attitude. Maybe it's my actions. Maybe I'm just chronically negative, and I just rant, and maybe my anger gets the best of me, and I go off the handle. Maybe that's some quality I'm passing on to the next generation. I'm passing on to my kids. And we share that with people, and then it's like, well, wait a second. Let's bring that under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's look at what the scripture says about that, and then let's apply it to our lives, and then let's hold each other accountable. And this isn't accountable like a judge and jury, like I know you're sentenced to... You know, you're grounded spiritually, you know. It's not like that. It's encouraging to have someone that knows you well enough that they would actually be able to speak into your life spiritually. I was introduced uh, to this concept, you know, many, many years ago. And obviously, it's super biblical from Bible college. In Bible college, we had groups. And groups, you know, came a part of the church and came a part of the landscape of the church. They used to be called Sunday school classes. But then they they started this small group movement because they kind of wanted the class size to get smaller so more people could talk and share. It wasn't just about someone teaching. Uh, There's a place for that and a time for that, and it's very valuable in God's church. But there's also a time where you get together with a smaller group and you share life on life. You share how you're really doing. How could you really pray for someone, encourage someone? I was at a conference in, in April. It was the premier think tank of all of the discipleship going on in the United States of America, it was discipleship.org, renew.org. These these websites were holding this conference, and there were fifteen hundred practitioners that cared about discipleship for Christians in God's church. You know, what are the next steps? What are the best practices? How can we, you know, flesh this out? And I'll never forget, there was this very. Uh, I'll never forget this moment. One of the speakers, his name was Jim Putman. He's from Real Life Ministries, Post Falls, Idaho. Um, he the, the church and the ministry up there, like, runs 10,000 in their worship attendance on the weekends, and they have 8,000 people in small groups. And so he's one of the ones that was speaking about that and talking about that, and, and he was talking about his small group. He had this, you know, group of friends, and they got together, and, 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 uh, He was saying he was telling it. So so someone they do they do this Q and A at the end of the session, and one of the people that was out there is a pastor from some church asked him, you know, what about accountability? And you know, you seem to be really excited about this and all this kind of stuff. And you know, but he said he's like, you know, as you as a pastor, you know, do you need this in your life as well? And and how does this you know flesh out? And he goes, oh, I need this in my life. And before everybody in the conference, this is why I'm sharing it with you today. It's been recorded and. And so it's out there. He says, I needed. He I needed accountability in my life even as a pastor. Because when my 20-year-old son came home drunk one night and I punched him because I was so angry. And then I went to my small group on Sunday night and I, I told them what I had done the night before. Those guys are like, you have an anger problem. And you need to bring that under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I was like, wow, that's pretty raw." But he went on and talked about he was so angry and that he'd been dealing with this pent-up anger in his life about some of the choices that his son was making with his life. And his small group of guys pulled him out of the group that night and had a heart-to-heart and prayed over him that that God would be able to help deliver him from the anger issues. And he said it started a journey of healing in his heart and looking at some things. And he goes, just a deeper walk with Christ. Because... I had some guys that knew me enough, that I felt safe enough with, I could say, you know what? I punched my 20-year-old last night because I was mad at him for coming home drunk. That's real life. That's real application of the Bible. That's what you're seeing with the church, with the Apostle Paul and and all this stuff in the New Testament. Because these people are trying to grow spiritually and they're doing it because there's this sense of koinonia, of deep, meaningful fellowship with them. And you've got to remember the goal of this. What is the goal of this? Is that we would look more and more like Jesus. That's the call that we accepted when we became a disciple of Jesus. I know sometimes we like to leave out parts of the Great Commission, especially the part at the end where it says, Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. There is an obedience piece to Christianity. That as you are going through the process of sanctification in your life and God is working on you and changing you, that you would become more like Jesus because you're actually doing what Jesus said. You're not listening to what Jesus said. You're not going, I like what Jesus said. You're actually applying it to your life. And I would venture a guess if we were all 100% honest this morning, we pull back all the facades, we would say, that's, that's, that's probably where I struggle the most. I don't, I don't necessarily need another Bible study because I've had 30 years of Bible. I, I just need to apply it to my life. I need to learn how to live it out. And I need someone to ask me the questions and be able to look me in the eye and pray over me and encourage me and help me to take my next step toward following Jesus. But when we define a win, we, I want to define it as God would define it, right? I want to define it as Jesus would define it. And Jesus' goal is that we would make disciples. Because the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, 20, says, go and what? Make disciples. And a disciple is a fully devoted, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he says, hey, I will be with you always on this mission, even to the end of the age. Even till I come back. I will be with you, my spirit will be with you heavy when you're doing my work and you are making disciples. So it caused me to look and to wonder, you know, what what, what is a disciple? How can we define that biblically? And if you look, it's really found really simply in one verse, Matthew 4.19. So if you're in Acts 2, just turn back to the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. You might remember this, especially if you grew up in the church and grew up in Sunday school. You probably heard this. Matthew 4.19. Jesus is calling the first disciples. He's walking along the seashore, he sees some guys out there fishing, and he says to them this, Matthew four I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version, he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Did you ever sing that song in Sunday school? If you follow me, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. That's what Jesus did, he just said it quite simply. When Jesus called the disciples in the Bible, he called them to three things from that one verse. The first thing he said was to follow me. And so we would say a disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus. They're actually following Jesus. Now, I don't mean that like when Jesus was on the seashore that the disciples, you know, followed him like little ducks behind him. I'm not talking about like following him like physically. I'm talking about like following what he said you're supposed to do. the the last part of the Great Commission, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. All the commands of Jesus in Scripture are actually lived out by someone who is a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And so a disciple follows Jesus. The second thing is that a disciple is someone who is being transformed by Jesus. You are transformed by Jesus. Where we get this from that verse is when he says, I will make you. Jesus says, follow me. I will make you. It speaks to the transforming process. Lived in the moment, I will make you from fishers of fish to fishers of men. But it speaks to this transformative process that we go through as Christians. It reminded me of 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. How? The old has gone, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come so a disciple of jesus is someone who follows jesus someone who is being transformed by jesus and then the third thing really simply is someone who's committed to the mission of jesus they're committed to the mission of jesus what was the mission of jesus at the end of matthew 419 i will make you into fishers of men fishers of men and then he reiterated that in the great commission make disciples followers of me i will make you into Fishers have been, you will fish for people. And so we would define a disciple as this. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. And so I would like to lay before you this morning, does that describe you? Because this is Jesus' ultimate plan for the life of a believer. For someone that would say, yes, I want to, Give my life to Jesus. He is my Savior and my Lord. He's my master. And because of that, I'm going to do the things that he wants me to do. Another great nugget in Scripture is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. It says this to the Christians and to the disciples of Jesus. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, <clears throat> encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. That word urge there is really interesting Greek word, well, there in the text there it's perikaleo, which literally means to come alongside and gives this idea of helping someone out. Perikaleo, think Good Samaritan. The, the one that helped him, the, the Samaritan that helped the man that was robbed and laying for dead on the side of the road. He parakleoed him. He came alongside to help him. Interesting, a derivative of that word is parakletos, which is the word that Jeremy mentioned a couple weeks ago. It's found in the upper room discourse with the disciples when Jesus was introducing the Holy Spirit to people. The Holy Spirit is referenced in those texts in John 15 as parakletos, which means one who comforts, counsels, or helps. And that is the focus of this verse, is the we urge you, brothers, is we urge you to come alongside. We urge you to help one another with what, the, what are these things. The first one is accountability. It says to warn those who are idle and disruptive, those that are out of line, those that are struggling, those that are, 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 are getting into some sin pattern. You know it's going to hurt them in their faith. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 12 and 13 says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. There's an urgency to it, see? And so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Accountability. Warn those who are idle. Warn those who are disruptive. The second thing that we find in that verse is encouragement. It says literally there, to encourage the disheartened. Uh, The Greek there for disheartened is those who are small-souled, S-O-U-L-E-D. It it gives a reference to those that maybe are younger in the faith or less mature in the faith or are struggling in their faith walk. It says to encourage those that are disheartened, those that are small-souled. And the last thing in that verse is care. It says help the weak. So we are, we are from that verse we get that we are to warn those who are idle, disruptive, encourage the disheartened, and help the weak. That word help the weak there gives us this idea of assisting, holding fast to the weak. As in one that would not lose them when someone stumbles, when someone struggles, when someone's going through a season that is a really, really hard time. They need care of other believers in their life. And all of this we will put into practice with what? At the very end of the verse it says, be patient with everyone. Be patient with all of these people, the ones that need to be held accountable, the ones that need encouragement, and the ones that need care and help. Serve them with patience. But again, the idea here is that there's relationships, there's fellowship, there's koinonia, being practiced with one another. And we do it all with patience and the love of of Jesus. Here's where I want you to ponder this morning as we close our time together. Where are you headed spiritually? Where are you headed? Maybe a, a way for you to look at that is to begin to say, where was I headed in the past? And where am I headed now moving forward? So as we get, get caught up in the past, right, man, I'm a failure. I I've been I've been stinking it up in the faith. I'm one of those, I'm a I'm a hypocrite. I claim one thing and I act one way on Sunday morning. And I go to work and I'm a toot all week to everybody I encounter. I'm I'm I I struggle with my family. I struggle with my mouth. I struggle with my thought life. I I mean, my, our finances are a mess because I'm irresponsible with the resources God has given me. I I, I you know, and I understand it's really easy to get down, but but, but think about it in terms of today. Because today you can chart a new course. Where are you headed? Where are you headed spiritually? And I want you to understand that God has grace and forgiveness for all the failures of your past. And he wants to help you chart a way forward toward growth. And something that we're going to be talking about for the next couple weeks as we continue this series is for you to open your heart up to relationships obviously first and foremost your relationship with God but then if you call him Lord and Master will you do what the Lord and Master tells you to do and will you allow your heart and your mind to be open to relationships with one another and I'm not talking about high in the lobby in a brownie after church I'm talking somebody that can speak truth into your life help keep you on a path that honors God where are you headed?